entitled the message, The Nation's Rage. And boy, they do, but uh, guess what? His anointed is on the throne, and God laughs. I probably should add to that. The na- In fact, I'm going to do an audible on the title right now. It's The Nation's Rage, and God Laughs. So you can write that down there, and we'll tack that on. So um, listen, the Psalms, the Psalms are much more than poetic. And, and indeed, they are poetic, and they are written just... It, 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 in such a beautiful way of, of kings and priests and worship leaders, you know, at bringing their, their emotions and, and just their struggles before the Lord and their prayers before the Lord and their, you know, their, their sorrow and their joy before the Lord. And, you know, uh, they, they minister to us in, in a deep way. And, and I think uh, oftentimes, you know, in, in ways that perhaps other books of the Bible don't and that they're so worshipful and so forth. Uh, but some people don't understand that the Psalms are also incredibly prophetic. I mean, there's just so much prophecy in the Psalms, so much prophecies about Christ's first coming and uh, details about his death and resurrection and so many prophecies as well about the Lord's second coming and the end of the age and so forth and so insightful about just so many things going on in this fallen world and I think Psalm 2 is one of the mighty prophetic psalms in the Word of God that really speaks about the state of the world and its fallen condition and the, the nations and the heathen and the kings of this earth that for the most part outside of a remnant, they, they rage against the Lord and they want to count, cast off the counsel of God and they want to do as they will and do what's right in their own eyes and really worship the God of their belly and the beginning of the psalm speaks to this and even asks the question you know what why do they do this and so forth and we're going to get into that and we're, we're going to you know look at at, at the fall and, and even where we are now because really this is coming to a head because it speaks that in the midst of all of this listen his anointed the Lord Jesus Christ he's on his throne and absolutely he's coming back soon to contend with this and to put it in check and there will be a millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years then a new heaven and a new earth that in Christ will be part of forever and ever and ever and then at the end of the psalm there's a plea to turn to the Lord there's a plea to be wise there's a plea to serve the Lord in light of all of these sayings and you know I I, I can't help but to think of the words of Christ what's a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses a soul and really this is a psalm directed to all peoples, but we see specifically the kings and the rulers of the earth being addressed at a plea to them to humble their hearts and to cry out to the living God. So there's just, there's just so much here. Um, let's dive into it, and we'll take it a verse at a time. And again, this is a psalm that we refer to a lot in, in our study of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 uh, in the summer, and then in Daniel uh, in our study in Daniel as well. And we'll come back to this probably in the Lord willing, our study in Revelation and so forth, because it just speaks to, you know, at the, again, the, the, the state of a fallen world. And uh, it, it lays out absolute truth that some people think are conspiracy theories, and they're not, in the sense of just this global effort to try to, you know what, uh, get rid of God and cleanse a fallen world of the Lord and it shows, again, how it ends, and yet in the midst of it, it shows that the Lord Jesus Christ stands ready to save 
and he will, he would call on their name, his name during this time here on earth. So notice Psalm 2, uh, verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Now listen, the, 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 the Hebrew here is so wide and broad that it, it's difficult for the English to really even fully capture what's being said here. So what, what I want to do and what I plan to do real quickly is kind of break down each one of these phrases and then try to answer the question or begin to lay down the groundwork of why do they do this because it's a question being asked why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing and the word nations here and specifically uh peoples here um actually the word nations here then peoples here can also be translated in the king james it puts it like this why do the heathens rage? And that is even a lot more insightful to the new King James that we're looking at because this speaks to the condition of these individuals. This isn't talking about the believer. This is talking about the unbeliever. This is talking about people that are void of the Lord, people that are lost in their sin, people that according to 1 John five nineteen that lie under the sway of the wicked one of satan who rebelled um you know and and try to take a third of the angels with them to overthrow god and it didn't work out and now he goes to and fro on the earth you know in a in a in a effort to try to keep people in darkness and so forth and so again this is asking the question why do the nations or you could say the gentile nations in this setting would be those that are heathens those that are void of god and lost in sin why do they rage or it could be translated here why do they rebel or conspire why do they assemble or why do they come together and angry in, in anger and indeed they're they're an angry individuals and so forth and you know we know that they rage and they rebel and we're going to expand on this in a bit here because Listen, they, they love the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Um, that, that's what they serve. That's what they follow. They don't follow the Lord. They follow the dictates of their own heart. And those things are directly opposed to one another. Men wanting to do what their flesh and their lust would want to do versus life that's found in following after the Lord. And so there's a rebellion and men, again, wanting to do what's right in their own eyes and then it says why do they plot and this could also be translated why do they devise why do they meditate on or why do they imagine and that's a huge word here and we're going to get deep into this here in a minute why do they imagine because that word is associated with witchcraft and indeed it's a rebellious world whether people know it or not that is moving in a spirit of antichrist and under, you know, at demonic influence and so forth. So why do they plot or imagine? And then notice what it says here, a vain thing. Or futile plans or plots that will fail. And there's, again, plans in the world today by many nations and peoples. In a minute here, we're going to see kings and rulers of the earth being referred to with an idea thinking that they're going to cleanse this world of the things of God, of the things of Christ, and even try to usher in some sort of, you know, a immortality that is going to utterly fail. That's going to, you know, what 
come to a pinnacle of the nations gathering together there in the valley of Armageddon down to, you know, at surrounding Jerusalem. And as we've talked about down that whole Dead Sea Valley to Bosra and so forth, and it's going to fail. It's, it's going to be utter failure as they gather together led by a man that we know as the Antichrist or the little horn, but they're going to gather together ultimately thinking that they're going to overthrow God Almighty and it's not going to work out. It absolutely isn't. And on top of this, individuals that plot a vain thing in this life, because this is referring not just to the nations, but to the peoples. And if you drop the S there, it refers to people. Listen, if they die in rebellion against God Almighty, the wrath of God that abides on those in their sin, when they pass from this life to the next in their sin, then they move into a place of being under the wrath of God forever. Notice John 3, 36. It says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Do you believe in the Son tonight? Have you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord? Then again, you have everlasting life. It says, he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And you know that tonight that, again, these nations and peoples and people that rage against God and their sin and rebellion, the wrath of God abides on them right now. The only thing that's keeping that from being fully activated is the mercy of God. God being merciful. Before we came to Christ, it says in Ephesians, we were children of wrath. And the wrath of God abided upon us. But in God's mercy, he sent his son to die for our sins to make a way of salvation. And in God's mercy, he kept that wrath at bay to give us opportunity and time to call upon his name. But I'll tell you a great biblical truth. The more you shun his mercy, the more you, again, take advantage of his mercy, the more you stay him off and so forth, the more that wrath increases and builds up. And that's a biblical truth a lot of people don't get and understand. Because so many people, even in their rebellion, God gives them leeway to, you know what, walk in that. And oftentimes, even people from a worldly perspective, they'll even begin to flourish in the rebellion and think, boy, I'm getting away with this. I'm never going to give an account for it. In fact, Psalms, some of the Psalms speak to that of individuals just saying, listen, things are as they've always been. There is no God. But really what they're doing unknowingly and taking God's mercy for granted they're storing up more and more and more wrath in individuals as well as nations and so forth. Even our nation right now in the state that it's in. And praise God for, you know what, a remnant of true born-again believers that are in this nation. And really, you know what, in, in every part of the world, for the most part, there's a remnant of believers. But we see a nation that, again, is raging against God on so many levels. And right now, God... You know what, even if things going on, God is so merciful to this country. Especially when you begin, you begin to consider all the blood that was shed, that has been shed with, with babies and so forth. And just, just so many things. And I know we have a rich history of, of many good things. But there's, there's also many things that are grossly wicked and sinful and so forth. And you start looking at, you know, at the heart of, of, of unbelievers in this world today. And it seems more and more there's just an effort by so many to try to again cleanse this world of the things of Christ and God's being merciful. But but again, in his mercy, there's more and more wrath that is just being stored up. And eventually we know in the time of the great tribulation, that wrath is just 
poured out. And that's nothing compared to eternal wrath that will come upon those that reject Christ. So it says, why do they do this? Why do they rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? And listen, in rebellion against God, man wanted to be his own God. And we see individuals, whether they know it or not, that reject Christ. The word of God says they're enemies of the cross and they serve their own belly. And so, again, it's man wanting to be his own God. To do as he will, which is the model of Satanism, or to do what's right in his own eyes. A phrase that comes up over and over again in the scriptures. And we know this all started back in the garden. And I'm not going to read it all tonight, but there in Genesis 3, we read the account. And we already know that God had told man, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that day, you're going to die. That's an act of rebellion. You're going to be separated spiritually from God who made you, as well as physical death is going to set in. And again, we know the account, and it's so important, and I never apologize for going back to this and talking about it. In fact, I'm going to talk about this a bit again on Sunday as well, um, because we know that Resurrection Sunday is about Jesus rising from the dead, but to rise from the dead, you first have to die. And the Lord went and died, and He died for our sin. And that started again in the garden when the serpent came along and villainized God. And you know what he says to the woman? Uh, you know what? Did God really say you'll die if you eat of that tree? And she says, well, yes, he said it. And then the serpent came back and said, God knows that you're not going to die in that day. But in that day you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God. And she ate of that tree in rebellion, wanting to be her own God. And then she gave to her husband and he ate of that tree. And again, sin Sin set into this world, a curse came on this world, and immediately everything changed. And unfortunately, outside again of a remnant of folks that we begin to put their hope and that promised Savior there spoken of in Genesis 3 who would eventually come and crush the serpent's head, we see that the world began to spiral out of control to the point of where that flood, it says in Genesis 6, 5, that man's heart that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And again, it's rebellion against God. Why do men plot? They want to do what they want to do. Evil is just saying, I'll do what's right in my own eyes. I don't care what God's word says. I don't care what God would have. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so there's a plotting. Again, there is a vain imagination of men wanting to do as they will. And we know that spread down through, you know, that plain of Shinar that we looked at last week after the flood. When God told man again, listen, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And Nimrod, that first picture of Antichrist, or one of the first pictures of Antichrist we see in the scripture, you know, it gathered men together. And said, don't go and spread out, don't put faith in God, let's come together. And remember what he said, we'll make a name for ourselves. Let's glorify us. We don't need to glorify God and honor God. We're going to do what we want to do. And we're going to be better off coming together here versus stepping out of faith and trusting in God. And we know how it went. God came down and, you know, it scattered them, made them a bunch of babblers and spread them out. But you look through the corridor of time and you see this theme coming up over and over and over again. And nations and people again plotting against God. We're going to do things our own way. We don't need God. 
looking different but the same so many times over and over again. And you come into the time of the New Testament and in this time of the new covenant that we're in. And notice Philippians 3.18, it says, They're enemies of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, whose mind is set on earthly things. Why do men plot against God? Again, they worship the God of their belly. They do as they will. Enemies of the cross. Their minds just set on earthly things, on sensual things. They don't consider spiritual things. And if they do, it's usually in context of how that will benefit them, you know what, carnally and so forth. Versus recognizing the conviction of the Spirit of God as sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the call to call upon Christ and repent. And it's spoken of in Romans 16 as well. 2 Timothy speaking of the last days of men being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. What a, what a picture of the world today. So many people loving pleasure rather than, rather than God Almighty who gives pleasure to be walked in its proper context versus people just wanting to binge on pleasure and worship pleasure even when, again, it's pursued outside of the parameters of Scripture and is pleasurable for a season, but the end of it is death. The end of it is destruction. So again, it's man wanting to be his own God, and it's man in sin Again, being separated from God and then hardening their hearts against the conviction of God and the truth of God and the gospel of God. We read in John 16, 18, the Lord speaking of the Holy Spirit, that when he comes and he's come and he convicts the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. But so many people harden their hearts to that. And be careful if that's you. The Lord knocking on your heart and you're hardening your heart to him because Hebrews speaks of a danger of continuing to do that, coming to a place when you can no longer hear his voice. And then Romans 1.18, speaking of, again, these nations and these people suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, saying we're going to push down the truth and we're going to throw up our theories and our ideas when Again, we're no, we know we're created in the image and likeness of God and we see evidences of it all around us through just design and so forth. There has to be a designer and life can only come from life. You know, real science, that explosions don't produce order, but disorder, that, you know, what anything in motion has to be set in motion. These are real uh, laws of science and yet, instead of humbling our hearts and crying out to God and groping for Him, men say, I got an idea. We came from, you know what, uh, there was a big explosion one day, and, you know, we're the product of slime plus time. That's evolution, you know what, in a nutshell. And you give anything enough time, anything can happen. And information can just appear, and a, an amoeba can eventually become a monkey, and a monkey can eventually become a man. Hey, we're going with that. It's insane. It's nuts. There's, it's, it's, it's completely illogical. Where'd that information come from? That information, it just doesn't appear. Just appeared, you know? But suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Why? Because that eases people's conscience. And it's part of that rage against God, that plotting against God. Again, we know this fallen world as well. 
It's full of anger and it rages because it's full of anger. And it's full of anger because even in its rebellion, the world still can't get its way. So many individuals that shake their fists to God, but again, they're disgruntled and they're full of anger. I'll tell you why. Because you can't find fulfillment in vain pursuits. It's just not going to be found. Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And then think of Romans 3, 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I'll tell you, the peace that they do gravitate to, it's a false peace. It's not a real peace. It's not the peace that passes understanding that can only come from the Lord. And I'll tell you, that rage is, that's there, it, 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 it's growing immensely in this world. Have you, have you noticed there's just angry people everywhere? And Jesus said in the last days, the love of many, it would, it would grow cold. The lawlessness would abound. Again, men wanting to do what's right in their own eyes. And we see this rage just growing more and more. And so again, it says they conspire or they plot or they imagine a world void of God. Let's come up with our own plot. Let's conspire together. Let's sit around and imagine in hopes we can bring to fruition a world where there is no God, there is no accountability, where we decide what's right and what's wrong, what's moral and what's immoral, where we do what's right in our own eyes. Someone described it as a creative imagination with no submission to God's word. Really, this is what happened in the garden. Satan stirred up Eve's imagination. God had told Eve the truth. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And what she should have done in answering that serpent was, no, it is written, it's been said, if I eat of the tree, I'm going to die. But instead of standing in the truth of God's word and submitting our heart to it, he began to paint a picture of how great this fruit would be if she ate of it. It looked good to eat. It, it will make you wise. You'll be like God. And so as standing in the truth, she began to move with her rebellious imagination, which absolutely is associated with witchcraft and associated with rebellion because it was a rebellious imagination of I want to do what I want to do versus yielding to what God would have me to do. And I'll tell you, God's word and God's ways brings life. And our vain imaginations, void of the Lord, they bring death. Absolutely. An act of, again, conspiring, plotting, and imagining that's rebellious. 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. And God said that to King Saul when, again, instead of just obeying God, he followed his own plot, his own plan, his own imagination, and so forth. And Samuel the prophet, under the, again, guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, you're practicing witchcraft here. Doing what you would want to do versus yielding to what god has called you to do this is from a website that i don't recommend um in fact i won't even give the website it's 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 a you know a website that teaches people how to practice witchcraft it says quote 
directed imagination you ask yes a witch without imagination is like a car without gasoline it takes imagination to make magic and this is the point of lesson three i guess there's like i don't know how many lessons there are but you have to have an imagination you have to decide what you want what you would will what's right in your own eyes and then the way witchcraft works whether individuals practicing that wicked whatever it is whether they know it or not They start summoning demons and so forth, and they might have different names for that. But these things they see happening that are supernatural are being conducted by the demonic 100%, not by the wind and the air or, you know, dead people or whatever. It's completely demonic and rebellion. And it's the idea, I want to imagine what I would want, and now I want to, you know, interact with fallen angels and demons to try to bring that about. It's witchcraft. And it ha- there has to be an imagination first. And I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, when your kids are playing cow- you know, cowboys or whatever and they're imagining a horse. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about imagining in rebellion against God. It's, it, again, it's rooted in witchcraft, these plots, these plans, and so forth. And I'll tell you, when, when I think of this, I can't help but to think of perhaps the wickedest song ever written that is probably one of the most beautiful songs to the flesh ever written that's always framed in a way that you know what is looks so positive by the world but if you step back and you really listen to the lyrics you see that it falls right in line with the psalms imagine there's no heaven it's easy if you try no hell below us above us only sky imagine all the people living for today Imagine there's no countries, it's not hard to do, nothing to kill or die, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Rank rebellion against God Almighty. You can imagine all day there's no heaven or hell, but guess what? There's a heaven and there's a hell. And if you reject Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in that hell. And you can imagine there's no religion. And I know the word religion gets attacked. And I understand the reasons for that. But the word religion, it means to have a piety for God Almighty in its true definition. It's the idea of, I fear God. We're not talking about legalism here. Real religion is, I fear God. I honor God. I don't follow the dictates of my own heart. I follow the word of God. And look at, again, this anthem This theme, this song that comes across so beautiful and so gentle, it's rank rebellion against God Almighty. And boy, if there was ever a song that fit this psalm, this is it. Rank rebellion. You're like, but I like the Beatles. Well, you know what? Maybe you should reassess that. Those dudes, like, they brought rank evil into this world. And I'm not bashing their... Their, you know what, their, their music school skills or their voices or whatever, you know what, they're obviously incredibly talented, but they brought the things of the East and wickedness of the East and meditations and drugs and all those things, they brought it to the West, along with others as well. I know they brought some yogis and things over from the East, and when they had arrived here in the 70s, the story goes, they saw so many hippies that had you know, it burned out their minds on LSD and acid and all this stuff. And they said, how sad. 
we could have taught them to have those same experiences simply through meditating. Because all those things take you to a spiritual plane where there's mass deception and so forth. And there's more than one way to get to that place if you use your imagination. But notice it says here, but it's in vain. And indeed, I think of Ecclesiastes where Solomon went and he held nothing from himself. Everything he wanted to do, he did. He did whatever his eyes wanted to do. And we read in Ecclesiastes 2.11, he says, Indeed, all was vanity, grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And then you go to his conclusions of all things, and he says, Fear God. Fear God. And again, we know in time, this rebellion will get trampled. It absolutely is going to. Think back to Daniel 2 and that statue Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of and all those parts of it representing different governments. And we know the last one was 10 toes that was a mixture of iron and clay. Folks, that's where we're at today. Because the effort today and it, it, it's, it's, it's a, an emerging together of communism and capitalism. But I'll tell you, talk about a weak thing. Toes mixed of iron and clay. It's weak. It's fragile. It looks like it's holding up all that's before it. But we know eventually we read if that in, in that dream, a mountain came down and it crushed all of that. And that mountain's a stone. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who's coming back very soon to, to put down this rebellion and to again set up a millennial reign here upon earth. For a thousand years, the word speaks of, and it speaks of great detail of that time and how in Christ we're going to rule and reign in Christ with Christ for a thousand years. And at the end of that time, we, we see of a, of a last white throne judgment of those whose names aren't written in the book of life and then a new heaven and a new earth. And in Christ Jesus, listen, we're going to be part of that forever. It's a glorious thing. Now quickly here, verse 2. <laughs> The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed and his anointed. I know we're in Old Testament. His anointed is his Christ. This is Jesus Christ being spoken of right here. The kings of this earth, the rulers, they counsel together against two, against capitalism, against the American way, against, you know what, uh, uh, you know what, free enterprise. no. Against the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand this tonight? Again, we got a rich history in our country. As talked about it last week, more missionaries have gone out from this country than any other country in the history of the world. There's no doubt about that. But there's a lot of people running around right now oh, thinking, oh, Satan's trying to destroy capitalism. And again, it is being modified. And it does fit the biblical prophecy of a communism and capitalism coming together. That's what the push is for. But make no mistake about it. Listen, Satan doesn't care if you're a capitalist if you go to hell. (laughs) He doesn't care if you achieve the American dream and you go to hell. He just wants people to go to hell. He's against Christians. And you need to know tonight that eventually that capitalism and communism is going to come together. The left and the right will come together and sing Kumbaya. And they will together be against those who, who name the name of Jesus Christ. Please read God's word. And so they plot together again. Against who? Against his anointed. Against the Lord. 
wanting to do again as they will. We looked at this last week. I won't read it, but I'll just refer to a few things in on Isaiah 24. It, it, it talks about this time at the end of the age, and it talks about the world being full of a haughty people, and it says, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broken the everlasting covenant. And part of the end times apostasy isn't just so much of the church racing after, you know what, false teachings and stuff that's been twisted in God's word, but it's a world that says, we're throwing off all of the original ordinances. Because you think about what they are. Again, in the beginning, God created we see a world throwing that off. We just touched on it. Instead, they say, no, it, it, it all evolved. Something came from nothing. Time plus slime, ta-da. They're, 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 look, they teach that to our kids. Maybe you're here well, I'm a learned fellow. I know better. You don't. You've been lied to. I don't care how much PhDs, whatever you want to call it after your name. That's insanity. Please, Put down the books you've been reading that lie to you and start dealing in truths. It's insanity. You think that chair you're sitting on is the product of time plus slime? Dude, your eyelash has so much more design to it than that chair. But if you start running around, hey, all this just happened, time plus slime, there was an explosion and this came, people put you in the nutty house. You think your eyeball with all of those intricate parts and so forth that that all are dependent upon one another that would need to come forth all at the same time somehow through evolution came to be it's insanity please start thinking where there's design there's a designer yet they've cast that off god didn't create and instead of man having dominion over the earth we see men doing what worshiping the earth the earth's for men. The earth's for mankind. Now, again, we should be good stewards of it, but it's not the other way around. I don't worship no Mother Earth. I worship God Almighty, and He's given us dominion over this earth. But boy, they're casting that off. And we know God made them male and female. Do I need to even go there tonight? Do you, do anyone live under a rock? But I was born into the wrong body, and I believe in science. Science is science, but I was born into the wrong body. Again, insanity. That used to be called mental illness. And it is. It's spiritual illness. And how sad that those lies are being ingrained into our children. And if you're a parent that is facilitating that, you're a child abuser. 100%. Especially if you started getting into medical stuff, you're a child abuser. I'll tell you the truth tonight. You need to repent of that. You're destroying that child's life. And again, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The masculine and the feminine, the two shall become one flesh. And yet we see marriage being redefined. We see what's morally upright, sexually being redefined. God says one man, one woman, and holy matrimony. And now sexual immorality is what's promoted homosexual marriage which is not honored by god it is not holy matrimony and then i'm looking at a a, a, i don't know why but i even every once in a while look at the fox news stuff and i look at it every day and you know you're looking at the headlines and i try to read through the nonsense there most of it's propaganda 
but there's some show of some dude married to like four women and a couple of them are sisters. I'm like, what, what, how is this a news story? And promoting it, oh, he doesn't like his one wife anymore. You talk about an attack on, again, one man, one woman. And I know in the Old Testament, they engaged in that, thinking we'll have more kids. We increase the odds of the Messiah coming. It never worked out for good. It was always problematic. And again, we see the attack of the family today. So many of this effort to try to destroy the family unit and so forth as designed by God. And then we see instead of life being sacred, the uh, childbirth, life in the womb, and hear this, the death penalty for murder, that's part of the original ordinances. People say, ah, how can you be pro-life and for the death penalty? Because God holds life of such high value, if you take it, you're going to lose yours. Now again, biblically, there had to be legitimate evidence for that. And I understand in some cases, you know what? Maybe the evidence brings a conviction, but maybe it's not so much, you know, there's not enough there to bring a death penalty. I get that, but life's not sacred nowadays. What are we at now, 70 million abortions in a country and again people will say well that's not life that's just a clump of cells but we found bacteria you know on mars we found life on mars think about it that's science and then again he says they 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 push off the everlasting covenant and what was that man's sin and god said a savior is coming and the Old Testament, they had salvation through faith in that Savior coming. And we only have that tonight through the Savior who has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. But they cast all that off. That's where we are. In verse 3, it says, they say, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. In other words, we reject you. We won't bend knee to you. Philippians Two says, though, the day is coming when every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. But it's the world saying, we don't want to be restrained. Get your bonds off us. Get your cords off us. We don't want to be restrained. And we know the time is coming soon when he who restrains this world will no longer restrain it. Second Thessalonians speaks to this in great detail. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord will consume him with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is in accordance with the working of Satan, with all power, signs, lying, wonders, and notice, with all unrighteous deception among those who perished because they didn't receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie, and they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's so much of our world today. We don't want you, God. We want a world that's cleansed of the things of God. We don't want any cords or bonds on us. We want to be let loose. We don't want to be restrained. And it says, 
He who restrains will do so until he's taking out of the way. Who's the restrainer? Obviously, it's a he. Or a they. Obviously, there's currently a restraining of evil to a degree today. But the day's coming when that restrainer is going to be taken out of the way. Some have said, well, the restrainer is the law. Well, the law is not a he, and the law doesn't restrain lawlessness. The law increases lawlessness. Do you know that? Biblically, who do we see as a restrainer in the world? It's the church. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling His church. In Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we're called the salt of the earth, and we're called the city set up on a hill or a light of the world. And let me tell you something about salt and light. They restrain. Light restrains darkness, does it not? And salt preserves, it slows down the rod, it slows down the decay. It's a preservative. It's a restrainer of rot. It's why you can go in the gas station and they can have meat on the counter that's not, you know what, being refrigerated. I love a good beef stick myself. And listen, biblically, biblically, the only he we see removed during the tribulation or before the tribulation or the only thing we see removed is the church. Verse Thessalonians 4. We're going to be caught up. Take it out. Luke 21, 36. Jesus says, watch and pray that you'll be counted worthy to escape. The church of Philadelphia is told in Revelation 3.10, you've kept my commandments to persevere. I'll keep you from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world to test the whole earth. Now, I've told you guys, I lean pre-trib. It's going to work itself out. I understand the biblical arguments for a mid-trib, a pre-wrath, a post-trib. But you look at the pre-trib, and it's just stacked. Be careful, because some people want you to isolate a certain idea. You've got to look at the totality of the Scriptures. And here's the thing. In my opinion, it's hard to argue the restrainer not being the Holy Spirit working through the church. Because here's the thing, if we aren't raptured at the beginning of the tribulation, hear this tonight, I'm still called to be salt and light and restrain lawlessness no matter what side of the tribulation I'm in or on or whatever else. And I know a lot of Christians have the mindset that if we go into that tribulation, they're going to hide in a hole somewhere and live off their stored up rations. But if that's the case, myself, by the grace of God, I plan on being bold for Jesus Christ no matter what day I wake up in. Because I'm called to, and I know this, that in Christ I can do that well because greater is he who is in me than who is he who is in this world. And that's not going to change, no matter what. Some things to chew on. Verse 4. It says, he who sits in heaven, in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. So easy to fret, worry, faint, shrink back, to be paralyzed in the midst of everything going on today. In fact, Jesus talking about the last days in Luke 21, 26 says, men's hearts will fail them for fear and expectations of the things coming on the earth. That's a description of today in so many ways. But hear this, God's not trembling. Isaiah 66, 1 The Lord says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my 
footstool. God's not trembling. God's seated. And then it says God's laughing and derision. It means to hold someone. It means to mock somebody. These little tyrants running around thinking they're going to overthrow God. God's mocking them. This is like you having an ant farm. We're not going to talk about an ant hill, an ant farm. You know, the ones where you can look and see them doing their thing. And you're watching that and you can speak ant. We'll just say you can speak the ant language. And you hear them talking about coming together to overthrow the home. And they're going to be in charge. Dude, it would be pure comedy. You know, there's a hundred of them in there or so, whatever it is, and they're building a little town. And they're, well, what are they doing? They're starting to build a pyramid here. And they think they're going to get to the top and they're going to overthrow me. Ridiculous. It's funny, isn't it? Listen, that, that, that doesn't even begin to compare men running around here thinking they're going to overthrow God. The, the ants have a better chance of overthrowing us. Serious. God just laughs at this. This is belly laugh stuff. And yet these guys run around so spiritual, you know, and, you know, in, in the sense of a false spirit and, you know, all their rituals and all this stuff. And we're, you know, we're going to achieve mortality here and we're going to get you, God, you fools. God's laughing at that, mocking it. Notice verse 5 He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress, dis, distress them in, their deep dis, his, in his deep displeasure. And we know the days of Noah are like the days of the, son, the, the coming of the Son of Man. When again, God spoke in His wrath. And He brought that flood on the earth. And He brought a deep displeasure upon them. And then notice Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Or verse 3 it says, when they say peace is safety. Again, they're going to think when their, their, their Antichrist comes, who they think is their Messiah, and he, he signs that covenant we've looked at so much you know, over the past year in the scriptures, again, it's, it's right at the beginning of the tribulation. They're going to say, peace and safety. And then notice, sudden destruction comes upon who? Who's it come upon? Them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not the darkness so that they should overtake you as a thief. Sudden destruction. That white horse goes forth with a bow conquering through peace treaties. The next one comes right after it and peace is taken from the earth and men take up arms and begin to kill each other. That's destruction. There's many pictures in the scripture of God bringing forth his wrath and God giving men over to again the desire of their heart and just pulling back the restraints. And then it just gets ugly. Verse 6, yet I have set my king on my holy hill, and I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Like, is this Old Testament? Absolutely. Jesus is on all the pages of the Bible. And you look at this, despite all this rebellion, there's a king. On his holy hill in Zion, this is speaking about the heavenly Jerusalem. And the Lord says to the anointed one, you're my son, today I have begotten you. The word begotten means a relationship between two with the same nature. And beautifully, in the midst of all this rebellion, 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 8, ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the father speaking to the son. It's speaking of Revelation 19 through 20, the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. Christ is going to come back. He's going to put down this rebellion. He'll rule and reign here on earth. We'll rule and reign with them. There will be natural men here on earth. The Bible says if they don't come up and worship the Lord in Jerusalem, they'll experience a drought. It talks about sacrifices in the temple, not for their sin, but to look back, to consider, and to teach them about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Just as the Old Testament, they were to look forward from those sacrifices. Ezekiel 40 through 48 speaks of this, or 41 through 48, one or the other. That millennial reign of Christ. And then in verse 10, with all this said, said, what's it say? Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Man, the judges need massive instruction, do they not? Be wise, O kings. Listen, wisdom starts with what? A fear of God. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. As so many of these kings and judges run around, they got no fear of God. And this is one of my main prayers, why one of my main prayers is, Lord, let the fear of God fall on them and make them face plant. Be instructed. Well, listen, be instructed, it means you've got to humble your heart. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Boy. These judges, they need instruction, biblical instruction. People are like, oh, but you know what? There's all these conservatives on there now. So surely they're going to overturn Boris's way. Just so you know, conservatives voted it in. It was a majority of Republicans on the Supreme Court who voted in. So be careful who you're pledging your allegiance to and who you're putting your hope in. Because I look at it. You get to that level, it seems like they're all in cahoots. Oh, no. Please deal in realities and be careful with the propaganda. Because it's just flowing like rivers. I'm not saying God can't raise up godly men and women in those places. There's been a few. But put your hope in Christ Jesus, amen. It's a sure foundation. Get you through every single day, even this one. Verse 11, we're almost done here. Serve the Lord. You didn't think we'd get there, and here we are. Serve the Lord with fear, with rejoicing and trembling. And we just saw again um, where he says here to, to, receive, to be wise, to receive instruction. It starts with the fear of God. Man, especially if you're going to be a leader then you better serve the Lord and do it with a fear because you're going to give an account for all those people that you're leading. And it's bad enough we got to give an account for ourselves. How did you lead these people? Did you point them towards Christ? I hear very few politicians and judges talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, well, he's a Christian. I've never heard him or her share the gospel. I know there's a few. 
well, separation from church and state, that's a, that's a law. No, it isn't. It's not. Ain't no law. And who cares if it is? I mean, don't we honor God first? And then listen, what comes out of serving the Lord with fear? Rejoicing. Rejoicing with trembling or rejoicing with real reverence towards God Almighty. Notice verse 12. Again, Old Testament here, kiss the sun. This is a call to come to the Lord. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, it don't take a lot. It's like those ants. Does it take a lot to put them down? Like, oh boy, you know, what I got to do? Oh, there's a hundred of them and they're plotting against me. Boy, I better bring everything I have to put them down. Just dump it out and start stepping on them. You know, be looking at your phone while you're doing it. Oh, there's one over there. Okay, now we're done. <laughs> People don't get this though. People don't get the holiness and the majesty and the might and the awesomeness of God. People run around thinking in their rebellion, I'll get in right into heaven. I'm a good person. We're not. We're ranked sinners, man. And he's almighty, powerful God. The last breath you just took is only because he's allowed it. So again, kiss the sun. Come to the way, the truth, and the life versus perishing in your way. And then he says, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Have you put your trust in him tonight? Can you say amen to that? You're blessed. You're blessed. And if you haven't put your trust in him, it's time to call upon Christ Jesus to walk in those blessings of the Lord God Almighty. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you, Lord. What a, what a powerful psalm, Lord. Loaded with truth. God, let us be found a people, God, that indeed, God, are, are heeding and yielding to your way and your instruction. And the call, God, you've placed upon us, Lord. Put down our vain imaginations, God. Those things that are contradictory to your word and, Lord, to the way of abundant life you've put before us in the scriptures, God. Lord, give us faith and tonight even give us strength from power from upon high through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Give us endurance tonight, God. We need it in these days we're living in. Lord, I pray our hearts would overflow with the joy of the Lord, even knowing in Christ, Lord, we're a blessed people. And we have a great future and a hope because, Lord, we need that joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. I pray we'd be found a people, God. Again, making the most of each day, God, living it to your glory as well as a people, God, looking each day as you've instructed us to, God, knowing you indeed are coming soon for your church, God. So we just bless you tonight. We praise your name. Listen, if you're here tonight, and again, you haven't called upon Christ, today's the day of salvation. And the word says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And again, that's the Lord Jesus. It's, 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 a, it's an act of repentance. It's an act of saying, I I, won't, won't, I don't want to worship the God of my belly. I, I, I don't want to be an enemy of Christ. Lord, I believe you died for my sins and rose from the grave, and I want to put my trust and hope in you. I, I, I want to be grafted into your family. I call upon your name. And I'll tell you, a humble and contrite art, the Scripture says he won't reject or refuse. 
Lord, bless the rest of our evening here. God, what a beautiful night that we have here, God. Just thank you so much for it, God. And just thank you for all these saints here tonight. Shine your face upon them greatly. And Lord, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And we said together, amen. God bless you.